0: And welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Satello, Esquire, Mike Lano, and Evan Ginsberg. Why don't you introduce our special guest for tonight, Mike?
1: I brought and asked him. I've been nagging him for many, many months when I heard he had some, uh, at least one, maybe several dark matches for AEW. He's our own, my home base, APW trained, APW superstar Dave Dutra, held many, many titles. Had feuds with all the greats when uh, Roland was still alive, and continued to work uh, when Marcus took over. We want to pay tribute right from the get-go, and for most of the show last week, it was our friend Candy Divine. This week, we lost Donna Day, who was trained by Cora and Debbie Combs, who wrestled all over the world, uh, Japan. Uh, she was on several. Uh, Debbie and her mom uh, Cora, both two legends. They're nashville indie promotion in the 90s she wrestled everywhere we also lost amazing jonathan who evan and i can talk about he loved pro wrestling but he was a fantastic magician comic in vegas for many years and our special guest of course dave dutra so dave why don't you break right in and tell us what is going on with you where have you been wrestling are you going to aew or are you uh, is dave dutra aew uh in all in
2: uh, I, I'm not contracted anywhere. Um, I will take, you know, anything that comes my way as far as opportunities go. Um, AEW was simply an opportunity for me. Um, at that point, it's mainly just extra work. You know, there was an opportunity for me to head out to Florida for taping uh, and do an AEW dark match. So um, that presented itself. I took up on it. Uh, I mean, it's been a while since I did that, uh, so I don't think anything really came of it. But you know, as is wrestling, you know, you get opportunities sometimes. You know, you're in right place, right time. Sometimes you got to continue the grind. So in that case, who, you know, who did that, you have the dark match with? Who did you have the, the dark match? That with? was with Ricky Starks, uh, and this <laughs> was during this was in the uh, during the pandemic. Uh, in fact, the AEW dark match was the very first match that I had post-pandemic, meaning post that the start of it. I hadn't wrestled at that point in like eight months and uh, AEW was one of the only t- things running at the time. Uh, There's a lot of protocol you had to go through. You had to take blood work. You had to go through all these checkpoints just to get on site to tape it. Uh, so that was that and, uh, you know, New Japan Strong was another one I had an opportunity to do uh, same same deal i'm not contracted to new japan uh but you know an opportunity presented itself and i uh, went out there and did a taping there wrestled uh, Brody king and wow. uh you know you know I, I still take them as they come and wrestling is always as you guys know like wrestling's a grind you have to just keep chugging along and you know take them as they come
1: does it give you pride to see for example new japan carl fredericks was one of the first picks but look at aew and from the get-go it feels like a lot of APW guys. I mean, I, I would go down and shoot most all the pro wrestling gorilla shows where Jungle Boy was, you know, feuding. But you get Jungle Boy there, our Will Hobbs, yeah, uh, Brian Cage. At least you know the first year and a half of AEW who wrestled a ton. Although he comes from you know the mid part of uh, Modesto, Stockton part of California, sure. and some others. Uh, you know, the Bucks and, and Cody and all of that, they were all first in Pro Wrestling Guerrilla and they did X amount of shows in Northern Cal. So it, it gives me a lot of pride in seeing our guys there and and more than I've mentioned. And then having, yeah. I emailed you right after I saw you were on the, the dark. So tell us about more about your experiences. And I mean, did you see Will and some of your other APW brothers there?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Um, Will, more than anybody, is the one I think APW people are most proud of because Will Hobbs is, is the guy who actually trained from the ground up from APW. A lot of those other guys you mentioned worked APW shows, but were not necessarily trained through the APW boot camp like Will was. Uh, so to see Will um, have the success he's had there, uh, that's a, a bright spot, I think, for anyone who came through APW. And I did see him. Uh, in fact, I, I spent. A lot of time before the taping with him, he was like my workout partner while I was out there in Florida. Uh, we grabbed, you know, lunch, dinner, that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, I, I leaned, I leaned heavily on Will while I was there just to get some pointers and you know the do's and don'ts. Since he at that time had been there for just about a year, um, the other guys too are you know they're obviously it was cool to see. I caught up with Brian, a cage. Uh, Jungle Boy, guys who weren't necessarily like APW born and bred, but they were guys who worked APW quite a lot. AEW does have a great West Coast representation, and I think that has a lot to do with the Young Bucks, um, primarily being based in LA. Uh, And then Cody, who during his independent run, when he Mm -hmm. left WWE and before AEW, um, he established a pretty solid relationship with Marcus and APW. They did a string of events uh, in 2000, I want to say 2017, uh, which led to that big Cow Palace show they did, where for an independent, you know, selling about 3,000 tickets was pretty impressive. And Cody was a huge part of that. I think they did a, a Steel Cage main event with Joey Ryan right, right. Um, that help that helped push that show over the top. So Cody, with his knowledge of apw and being somewhat you know at least partially in charge of aew um i think that helped tremendously in helping to get guys like will hobbs opportunities because he was familiar with the whole apw roster and he knew guys that had potential that you know could really be assets to aew
1: very quick and then i'll throw to evan and russ uh I shot all of Cody's matches for Dub and there was, I think it was the Pacifica show, him yes. against Pentagon. Remember that one? That was a mm-hmm. huge match. And, uh, you know, it was very cool because that first Cup show, I posed uh, Cody and Brandy with, uh, with Pat Patterson, who... Dusty was our very last U.S. champion when Roy threw in the towel and um, st- closed the office in January after his Battle Royal 1982. And Dusty was the last champion because the last three Roy Shire shows, he had to use Eddie Graham's Florida TV. And uh, so he, he had Dusty on all those last three cards, et cetera. But uh, Chris Daniels used to come up to APW. His first match in APW was early 98. He came up yeah. there. The suicide kid. He was constantly up there bringing some of the Ron Rivera Lucha guys, uh, like Scorpio Sky, who was wearing a hood. If you've seen any of the tape in APW, he came up a zillion times with Joey Ryan, Disco Machine, etc. Yeah. But uh, Scorpio Sky, skinny kid, mask on, tremendous talent. Frankie Kazarian, of course, and, and a lot of those other guys, Samoa Joe, started coming up with the relationship between Roland and Rick Bassman's. Uh, uh, Orange County, you know, right near where I am now. Orange County group, and they were part of King of the Indies, you know, which blew up everything. Started Ring of Honor, Evolve, all that Gabe Sapolsky stuff. So let me throw it to Evan since we're talking a ring of about Ring of Honor and uh, you know, all this history and and stuff, culminating in APW or AEW. Yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so, Dave, what do you consider some of your career highlights? Um. So you know.
2: I sort of break it, my career out into like my first, I, I retired from wrestling for like three or four years uh, in the mid 2010s. Uh, so I sort of break that up into two pieces um, prior to 2014 or 2015, because uh, I retired at the end of 2014. Uh, I took a step away from the business for a few years and came back. Uh, so in the first half of that, so, you know, the 2000s up until 2014. Um, I think the indies were a little cold comparatively till now, um, so there weren't as many opportunities. It was a lot of APW stuff, but uh, I do have a match I'm particularly proud of. I wrestled uh, Drake Younger in the APW Garage
0: yeah.
1: um,
2: in a in a killer ladder match. Um, I think to this day, anything up until that date, that 2013 2014 era in APW. I think it has the highest hit count on YouTube you can find that match there. Um, it was just really special. Drake Younger at that time in his career was pretty hot on the Indies. So getting a chance to work with him gave you a little internet buzz. Uh, we did somewhat of a work shoot with that. Uh, I had gone in there and, uh, it, it insinuated that Drake Younger may have like a blood transmitted disease because wow. of he all had, the all he the he had hep right right yeah it was so like bad. Bad. i i call i said something to that effect that i refuse to work with someone who could have a, a blood transmitted disease from all the death matches he does and until he can prove to me that he he's clean in that sense i'm not going to wrestle him and in a time where i mean especially now like now that probably would have gotten me canceled uh, on social media, but we put that out there on YouTube and, and Twitter and whatnot. And it, it actually caught wind of like Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And then they published an article about it. So we developed a little bit. And a lot of guys, even in my own like Northern California circle, uh, questioned whether it was legitimate or not. So we were trying to work the boys a little bit too. So we, we created a little bit of buzz, which I really loved. And then we had the match. The, and the match was to this day, I, I've seen it. Uh, maybe a couple weeks or not weeks, a couple uh, years ago, I rewatched it and it still holds up well on the second side of uh, my career. When I came back in 2017, I mean, my first true event that I did was the second APW Cow Palace show. Um, they had brought me back as a referee uh, because we actually carried over the storyline of how I got retired by Rick Luxury. So the the angle was, you know, I, I could no longer uh, legally wrestle because in, when I got retired, the stipulation was my career is on the line, and the idea behind it was I would continue to screw Rick Luxury over by refereeing his matches. Until he wanted to beat me up so badly that the only way he could do that is to rescind the contract from 2014 and say, you know what? I want you to wrestle because I want to kick your ass. So I'm going to break the contract and you can wrestle again. Uh, so we, we wrapped that up at the Cow Palace. And that was so amazing for me to uh, do that in front of like 3,000 people. Uh, we eventually did a series with him. Past that point, um, I did a really cool extra work with WWE. Uh I had done extra work with WWE for years, doing a lot of little silly things. Uh, I was a paramedic, I was a police officer, I was a security guard, all these little spots, right? But I never got to actually wrestle. Um, So I did a little thing with the Yolo County uh, Tag Champions where they made little cardboard belts for us. And we had to do a little 60 second match against Heavy Machinery on an episode of SmackDown. Uh, what was cool about that is as silly and stupid as it was, was to give us cardboard pit belts and put us on national TV with those and sort of make a mockery of indie wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Um, the joke was on WWE because it was so silly that it became viral. Mm-hmm. And then what ended up happening is we were able, AJ Kirsch and I were able to take that episode and then start making cardboard titles at home. And we sold those pieces of cardboard at indie shows Wow. And we're not kidding you. We sold card bo- pieces of cardboard with markers that we drew uh, for like 25 to $35 a pop for mm. cardboard. <laughs> Just so you, you ride the wave of that. It only lasted a couple of weeks before it sort of calmed down. But, you know, it's about capitalizing and evolving. And I also got to do like a re- episode of Bar Wrestling down in L.A., which at the time when Bar Wrestling was hot, um, that was a big deal. You know, a lot of big names that are now in AEW were on that show. Your your uh, Luchasaurus, your your Jungle Boys, uh, all those guys. The AEW Dark. That was a really cool thing. I, I changed my character to the Battle King, um, which is what I primarily do now. And the very first time I was able to use that character was the AEW Dark match. I was actually set to debut it in March of 2020, but as you all aware, uh, in early March of 2020. uh, Everything shut down in California, so I was ready to roll the character out for APW, um, but that never happened, so I did it at AEW Dark for the first time and. Moved on with that and um, the New Japan Strong was a cool, very cool opportunity. A highlight of mine because I've always wanted to wrestle for New Japan. Um, Sort of the fan in myself. I've always wanted to hear my name announced by a Japanese ring announcer. Like, you know, the New Japan announcers, how they, they're, the tone in which they announce. The trails, talent. the
1: voice like trails out, Dave Dutra, or Dutra. Yeah,
2: it's like Dutra. Yes, yes.
1: You know, so
2: like, I got to hear that in the ring as of that. And that was sort of like a dream of mine because I had been watching uh, New Japan, you know, for at least a decade earlier. I'm like, God, that'd be so awesome to do that. And so I got to, you know, check that box and, um, and I and then there's just there's some great wrestling now um, I, there's more young talent now that are like amazingly good usually you you at least when I first broke in a lot of the newer guys just showed their greenness for lack of a better term but now there's guys who are you know one or two years into the business that wrestle like they're eight to ten years in the business so there's a lot of hungry young talent that are extraordinarily great and to have opportunities to work with younger guys and go out there and kill it uh it's it's a it's a great time in wrestling i'm sorry that was a super long-winded answer but no no that's (laughs)
3: great I, i just have one other quick question um yeah muhammad ali he lost three or four years in his prime because of his legal issues um and they always said that hurt his career do you feel as a wrestler, missing three or four years, you know, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe your body didn't take as much of a pounding and you're more refreshed. Sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, entirely possible. I, I, the, the joke is that I, and this wasn't planned in any way, but when I left in 2014, um, that was right before the indie wrestling scene really did take a, a boom. Uh, 2015, they did the new, they redid
1: the King of Indies in California, um, and it's this part is of the really when down in San Jose, right?
2: Yes, the WrestleMania in San Jose, and I'm not sure if that triggered it, but it, I swear to you, I got out of the business, and all of a sudden I'm seeing shows get 300, 400, 500, 600 people sellouts in high school gyms, and that never happened a lot when I was in the business, like you know years earlier, uh, and then like you know, you got Cody Rhodes, like doing indie dates and helping sell out buildings. And it just, it, it blew up. So that, that three years I was gone, there was a lot of boom periods. So you could say like, Oh, maybe I missed some opportunities there, but on the flip side, you're right. Um, three years off was three years of wear and tear that did not occur on my body. So that definitely, I mean, everyone has, a what I call a bump card there's only a certain amount of bumps you could take Perfect. before your body and I could tell you right now that I mean I'm a little older now I'm like 37 so um and I'm feeling everything more day to day versus you know at 35 versus at 30 and so uh, wait until you're north of 40 and you'll really start I, I know like I, I'm funny you funny about like body recovery I literally just posted a video today about a few hours ago I went and did cryotherapy today to try to help my recovery a little bit and you stand in these chambers that get down to a negative 170 degrees wow. you do it for a few minutes and it just like it rejuvenates your body i i need that kind of stuff because I, I wrestled uh two killer matches last week i just wrestled last night um so i was just sort of feeling it again i don't recover as fast as i did 10 so years ago in My
1: because i don't know what's going on up there i know south san francisco thing is hot with the Daniel Garcias and all of the Suzuki. Yeah. But who, who it, it, uh, Marcus hasn't quite started yet, but so who have nope. you been wrestling on?
2: Uh, no, sure, yeah. So uh, there was, so the last three shows I've done, uh, last weekend, there was one in Alameda Point uh, oh, called okay, Stars correct, of Wrestling. Correct. Yeah, so um, wrestled a match out there. Um, oh, do you remember Icebox?
1: Thompson, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, started, yeah, awesome. I started the promotion. He picked me and Tony Fury, Tony yeah. Hernandez, asked us to start this thing. I gave it the name of Oaktown Championship Wrestling. But Ice, who I knew from roller derby, had begged me to bring him to to wrestling. He wanted to get involved.
2: Yeah. In wrestling.
1: he'd been, in, you know, with the roller derby, the latest incarnation of the Bay Bombers. So I bring him to Robert Thompson School at AP Dub. He attends one class, quits because he couldn't handle it. And then kind of screwed some people over on money paydays at first show. So I completely dropped out when I, you know, he, he, okay, okay. Kirk White, he like drove off and said, I know you owe you some money. I'll catch you on the flip side. And he drove off to Vegas. So, but he mellowed out, he got away from Kirk White and, and whatever. And so I shot all the Alameda stuff, which happened like a mile from where I live. Uh, yeah. And it's where we would used to hang out with Shad Gaspar before he died. And he died you know, down here, I picked him up and drove him to uh, LA Comic Con. Once I moved down back after 40 years away from LA, moved him to, drove him to LA Comic Con. And a couple of months later, he drowned, you know, saving his son out there. But Shed, uh, Shed's tag partner, J- JTG, was in the main event of the show you were on, you know? Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So he invented that show. Um, it was a great little show. They got a good little venue over there right off the water. Um, they got maybe 200, 250 people there. Um, can't complain. The the show that following day on Sunday, so a week ago today, uh, was the UGWA running a venue for the first time outside of San Jose because San Jose is their home base, but they lost their venue. So they were sort of rolling the dice on this new San Francisco venue. And it ended up being the biggest show in their company's history. So they got about 350 people. Um, they packed this little auto. I want to say it's like a it's like a theater, a three story hmm. theater um, that has been converted into a bar and arcade. So there's arcade machines. There's alcohol. Um, they put this the ring at the bottom of the whole theater. So everyone's, you know, on the first, second, third floor. They're all rowdy. They're drinking. Um, so it's sort of a party
1: atmosphere.
2: If you guys are familiar with like a hood slam
1: i was going to say Um, slam you you get high from the uh, the the smoke the wafting yeah
2: so this the very similar kind of party atmosphere and fans you know they may not be like a lot of these people to me are very casual wrestling fans they're people that probably maybe follow the attitude era but lost fell out of wrestling a little bit and they just want to see action and they don't really care what it is so they're just like happy to be there and be entertained so they're very easy fans to wrestle in front of because they just cheer for everything so it was a really awesome event and then this who's uh, who's the
1: promoter and who else was on that show
2: um so anthony trevino is the promoter of the ugwa he's on facebook um uh not
1: familiar with him
2: uh, yeah well i mean as far as the professional scene he's he's relatively new comparatively to others but he's been doing really great out in san jose and He's now doing San Francisco stuff. So um, as far as who's on there, I'm the champion currently. Um, hmm. He does use a lot of NorCal and in, in Southern California and Vegas talent. And, a lot, and especially with the Vegas right now, there's a Vegas scene um, uh, of a lot of young indie wrestlers that are talented. So he's using a lot of young guys. I feel like I'm the old, at 37, I'm like the oldest guy on the roster.
1: I should say, there. Evan, Evan may, the rest of you haven't seen Dave Dutra. Tremendous promos and tremendous match skills. I've seen Dave.
0: Yeah. Evan's going to bring up.
1: And uh, Dave may not know that Evan was the producer, assistant, or associate producer on the wrestler movie with Mickey Rourke, with all the oh, nice. Ring of Honor, Ron Killings' talent. I emailed you about that, that Evan's yeah. head, the history.
0: But what I wanted to do was, uh, Dave, I wanted to go back a little bit more towards your beginning days with Pro Wrestling Iron and, uh, you know, how you got started. Because that's how I know you is from PWI. And it was a very different thing. Can you tell everyone what the the big deal was about Pro Wrestling Iron and why it changed things for the Bay Area for at least the time that was around?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And let me let me wrap up that last question real quick because uh, yesterday was a couple of firsts for me with the, the, the booking I did yesterday. I got to wrestle a couple Lucha Libre legends. So I got to wrestle, uh, it was a tag team match, and uh, we wrestled Psychosis and uh, Dr. Wagner Jr. Oh. Um, no mask? So, you got the mask on? Uh, he came out with the mask and rips it off. So. Uh, So no mask, but I mean, it's, these guys are, you know, I got to think they're in their late fifties at this point, Um, but great guys. And it was, it was just awesome. They packed, they sold out, uh, Mount Pleasant high school in San Jose and to what the COVID limited capacity was, which I think was about 850 people. Um, Amazing show. They, They for our match. They actually crumpled up dollar bills. They were throwing money into the ring afterwards from the performance. So, um, the really
1: voter uh, of that one, and it's like, how is Gabe allowing, Gabe Ramirez allowing all this stuff to go on? He doesn't try to fight it, or was he part of it?
2: Allowing what part?
1: Well, you know, he at times has been kind of territorial or whatever because – that's kind of i think where he's emanating out of not that we have territories in northern california So th-
2: this show was gabe's show this was, oh, this okay. was a pro res- yeah.
1: so pro this wrestling pro re-
2: wrestling revolution yeah. okay so great. this was his show and he's really the only promoter in my opinion uh people have their opinions of gabe but i think he's really the only guy in this region that can sell that those that kind of tickets he has the promoting power to do that i haven't seen any other promoter that can consistently fill venues of 800 to 1200 people on a monthly basis so you know credit to him on that now to the circle back to the beginning of my career with iron um how that sort of came about is um i did an, an embarrassingly large amount of backyard wrestling as a kid and uh i'm now i'm not afraid to talk about it you know in 2003 when i started iron it was a very taboo subject you sort of got um, I don't want to say blackballed, but you got labeled if you mentioned or publicly stated that you at all did backyard wrestling. When in reality, most people that get into the wrestling business at some point mess around with their friends and, you know, and pretended to do the moves you saw on TV. Um, there was a guy who did volunteer work for Roland at APW. Uh, he did video work for Roland. He dubbed tapes for him for free, uh, and the deal was is that Roland would let him use the garage once a month to do his little backyard wrestling shows in. Yeah. And in, ex- in exchange, he'd do all the video production for free. Um, so at that point, like you know, kids are connecting up on America Online at the time and other platforms. There weren't there wasn't a Facebook or MySpace or any of that stuff yet. Um, but I found out through some people that hey, you know, these guys could, you know, use some new talent. So I went out there and I started wrestling in the garage, untrained, uh, in like 2002.
1: Um, Were you smart? At- yet?
2: No, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I was just a dumb kid at that point. But what ended up happening with that is he w- he ran that for another maybe eight months into the start of 2003. And he was gonna be done with it. And I I that was my first taste of wrestling in an actual ring before we were wrestling on the grass, on trampolines, like we were kids and we didn't know any better, you know. So I'm like, wow, this was awesome. I, I wanna to continue to wrestle in a ring. And the guy was like, Well, I'm done, I'm not I'm doing this anymore. But I heard about this school, not APW, but another school that's you know, two exits down the freeway called pro wrestling iron and they're going to be doing an open tryout so maybe you should sign up it's like 35 bucks and you can win a contract to train there i didn't know anything about iron at the time in fact i didn't really know much about indie wrestling um it was all new to me at that point um but obviously hindsight now i know the history behind it you know we all know that the roland and mike modest had a falling out and mike modest was like his prize student for quite some time. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with like the deals that Mike and Donovan and Bison and all those guys got with Japan and Noah. Uh, I think Roland wanted to get a cut of it. Uh, I don't know the all the specifics. You're pretty close is. to being right yeah, on. Top. I, I all that I, stuff. And that to, to me, the specifics don't even matter. But ultimately, we were we were there
1: at King of the Indies in 2001, where night two was when uh, uh, Russ was it uh, uh, Bison against Donovan, and they yeah,
0: where the meltdown happened.
1: And 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 then basically, iron was created from Mike, Mads, right. and Donovan, and uh, uh, Frank Murdoch taking pretty much all of the talent and the behind the scenes, the refs. There was very little left, and they all went over. Uh, other than like maybe Vinny and Vic Grimes, and they all went and. And remember, American the same trajectory yeah. that Misawa took all. Of the All Japan guys, except Kawada, and form NOAA. And Noah was the deal where Modest Morgan and uh, Bison had their their touring thing. So they took that contract away from APW to form Iron. And it was insane how it was so parallel to Noah Japan leaving All Japan and Mrs. Baba yeah. like a tyrant. So Roland I got, was not I got a tyrant. Uh, yeah
2: no, <laughs> and I so when I joined. The With Iron, I did the tryout in, um, I want to say, May of 2003. Uh, it might have been, it was sometime in the, the middle of 2003. They did a tryout there. Um, they had brought in Crash Holly to be one of the judges for it. Um, and they were going to piggyback the tryout into a show they were doing in San Francisco the following day, which they would announce on the show, um, the winner of the tryout. Um, i did see scorpio sky at that show masked as you mentioned earlier um that's at that point he was a socal guy that, um, that was fully masked i remember that um but yeah i ended up winning that tryout and you know all these years later and i think there's i think they interviewed vito tomaselli once yeah. about it who was one of the trainers for iron at that point he was working at spw yeah, helping train iron guys. Um, they had interviewed him separately about this whole time frame. And he was saying how, how much of a work these tryouts were. And apparently, <laughs> and this is, I, I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't admit this because it sort of puts me down a little bit, but they chose me. And at the time I'm like, oh, cool. Like I was the best student there. But in that interview, they actually were talking about how they were trying to choose the guy to win it that they felt would not pay for training if they didn't win so apparently they, they looked at me as you know if he doesn't win he's probably not going to pay us <laughs> to train so let's give him the win and let's identify the guys who even if we he, they don't win we could probably talk them into paying full price so uh they gave it to me and then the other guys they gave runner up deals to and you know as wrestling can be very carny they're like hey look you have all the potential in the world uh you know what we're going to do for you we would never really do for anybody else but if you sign up today we're going to knock off a thousand dollars off your training uh you know it's normally four thousand dollars but we're going to give it to you for three thousand if you sign a contract right now and they, they, that's how these tryouts were meant to hook people to, to increase their sign up revenue and help the school. So they signed up a bunch of guys that day. Um, I got the free pass. Um, and I trained there for six months. And the only reason I, I, I dropped out of it, well, there's a couple reasons for it. Um, I don't think a lot of the people at Iron were in a good place emotionally, psychologically, and, there was a tragedy that happened in that six month period. I was there. Crash Holly passed away uh, under bad circumstances. Um, and that caused a ripple effect in the school because everyone was very
1: close to him. Uh, hold on one second. Sorry about that. There we go. I'm sorry
2: about that. I'm using my cell phone and someone actually tried to call me. So, uh, but it get caused too,
1: it. too far into this, I don't know if you saw, but I shot his uh, his work, Mike Lockwood, Crash Holly, as Leprechaun Aaron O'Grady before he even, you know, pretty much most yeah. of the guys, before they start working in front of people, they're training. And have you ever seen footage of Mike doing the Leprechaun Aaron O'Grady Leprechaun
2: stuff? Aaron O'Grady, yeah. It's hilarious.
1: Did. It was hilarious. He it. Stuff he did with Rosano and Vic Grimes and Modest Grimes. parking lot with the killer death matches, and they go up and down the street in front of APW's garage.
2: Yeah, he was awesome, man. He was so good. So good. Great guy. Um, But yeah, his his death caused sort of a ripple effect among the the people that ran the school, Murdoch, Morgan, and Modest. And uh, Morgan was probably affected the worst as far as his emotional state. Um, There was a lot of uh, just like things that you would never think of now that they were doing, you know. When you have the owners of the school smoking cigarettes, like trains inside a small little warehouse while their students are trying to run laps in the warehouse, So you're just inhaling secondhand smoke while you're trying to train. and you know that's not a good it's not a good environment to train in when you are you know being shown headlock takeovers, and then one trainer is drinking a bud light as you're learning, and then they go, "Let me show you how it's done, kid." And they set their beer on the canvas and then they bump you with the headlock. The beer starts to pour all over the canvas. Jeez.
1: Um,
2: they, they shouldn't have been drinking clearly while they were training young students, but they were. And you know, I think that was a, like a coping mechanism. So there was a lot of things going on there. And I'm not trying to bury the school. I really am not. I mean, there are still guys that graduated from that school that were great. Um, I do take some accountability that maybe at my young age, because I was only 18 at that time um i maybe not have been emotionally ready to be a wrestler either but i think there were things that there were going on there that you would never see in today's world um in wrestling schools that sort of steered me away like maybe wrestling wasn't for me and it wasn't until i left at the end of 2003 like december time and then um i didn't get back into it until i just happened to take a job uh, i was working at a, a, a warehouse in Hayward loading trucks and jj perez was a salesman at that company working in the inside sales office so he found out that like i used to be at iron that i loved wrestling and we would talk uh, you know all the time like he would basically come on come in every monday and say about like all weekend shenanigans doing these wrestling shows and he said man you should come back and train like you should go to apw now go talk to roland and whatnot so i had finally made a call to roland called me back immediately tried to hustle me to get me onto the <laughs> july 2007 school at Life camp and roland was always like he's always working Be like yeah. hey i revealed you i reviewed your application and uh gotta tell you kid um if i were to rate you on a letter grade scale i think you would be an a minus prospect that's pretty good i don't usually do that much and i'll tell you what we already started our <laughs> july camp but uh If you know, we're already a week into July camp, and I never do this, Dave. But if you want to put a down payment down right now, I'll squeeze you into that class and let you come in a little bit late. (laughs) And I was, I told him, Hey, man, Roland, I appreciate that. But you know what? I I don't have $3,000 to give you right now. But uh, sign me up for January. I'll take time, I'll save my money, and uh, I'll, I'll be good by that point. So I started in January of 08 training at APW. Um, I breezed through the beginner's camp uh, only because it was the exact same material that Modest taught at iron. He used APW's little training manual. So when I went through it at APW, it was literally word for word, verbatim, the same exact material. So um, I breezed through the beginner stuff and then the semi-pro stuff, um, I got to learn under JJ. And if any of you guys, you know, are familiar with JJ Perez and all of his work, he's Oh, yes, yeah. He's no,
1: just, he was a class incredible. kid. He was a good, good person. I should say this at, at Iron. This is something I never saw before, and Evan will love it because uh, Ring of Honor's Nigel McGuinness, total legend, came in. We picked him up at the airport. But on that show, I don't know if Russ was there or not, but he actually wrestled uh, Sarah D'Amato. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was, like, it, it, incredible. And and now I, I want to know because I'm trying to book Claudio Castagnoli, the former Cesaro who just left the whiff and, you know, he's mulling about his options. If he's still with Sarah, they were a couple for a long, long time. I snapped yeah, I pictures of no them at some ring of honor shows together. I don't know if they're together because she, of course, I think she's still a head female trainer at NXT. I don't
2: know if she's still there. Um, I don't, for some reason, I don't think she is, but I could be
1: wrong. All the Hunter people, but she had quite the history. She started with AP Dub, as yeah. far as I know. Roland gave her the stupid wrestling name of Nikki. And then she left with all the Iron People. And, and that's where, you know, some great success happened for her. And she, you know, got about and shimmer and shine and all that stuff. And boom, she was one of the top females in the world. But she had a ton of matches at AP Dub with Melissa Anderson, which were terrific.
2: Oh yeah, she definitely did, and I was just gonna say I don't know if she's there only because I did an NXT taping for WWE in uh, October of 2021, so you know maybe five months ago. Um, so I was at the performance center, and I don't, I did not see her that whole time I was there. Saw a lot of people that you know familiar faces. I saw Tom Caster, obviously he refereed, he refereed my match while I was out there. I saw Tim Thatcher. Um,
1: so and all our brothers.
2: Um, that, Yeah, it was really cool, but I didn't see Sarah. Oh, and
1: Wetson Space was the head ref at NXT uh, for years and years after he left us. And I kept emailing him, why aren't you, the guy you had your ladder match with, why aren't you wrestling? Why are you just refing? It's a crazy misuse of talent. He goes, hey, I'm happy. I've got insurance. I've got all this. So he was happy doing that.
2: Yeah, yeah. He just, you know, he saw an opportunity to have a career. And if it meant, you know, switching up, you know, it is what it is, but. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Drake now is doing like his political thing. Um, he's set on oh, that, he's and he's doing
1: his political thing.
2: He's, <laughs> he's doing his political thing, and he's he's. I think he's content with what he's doing. So more power to him. So what did you
0: feel was a big difference between the next locker room environment and AEW's locker room environment? Considering you did dark matches for both, or or you know your tapings for both.
2: Yeah. Um I both were very similar in that it's a it's a so when you go backstage at like a RAW or a SmackDown, it, it's like um a freeway of different people going in all directions. You're you're sort of like a little fly on a wall there, right? There, there's producers going this way, there's catering going this way, wrestlers going in every direction. Uh, you name it—all these types of talent, uh, you know, ring stage cans—all this stuff is going on all at once. Um, so it's easy to get sort of lost in the shuffle. But at AEW and NXT, for that matter, it felt like just a a a bigger production of an indie type locker room. Uh, it felt more family friendly. Uh, family friendly in that, like, you feel like you're you're part of a family as a talent when you're there. Um, Uh, It's more tightly condensed as the location. Um, Granted, that might be different now because those companies are back to filming in large venues again. But this was all during the COVID period. But, um, you know, I think more people are receptive at those at AEW and NXT to like for you to walk up to anyone and just ask questions. And at a TV taping for Raw or SmackDown, that's not what you're supposed to do. It's sort of a unwritten rule. You got to just sort of hey, keep your uh, eyes and ears open, your mouth shut, Uh, don't bother anybody, everyone is busy. Whereas here, uh, you're not necessarily punished for walking up to the average person and saying, hey, nice to meet you. My name is Dave. If you don't mind, I'd love to just pick your brain or ask a quick question if you have some moments. Um, You didn't get that vibe of, hey, don't do that when you're at AEW. Um, or NXT for that matter. Even NXT is a WWE product, but um, everything was done in the Performance Center in a very small confined location. So you're, you're basically next to everybody in a very small room or a relatively small room. There's probably maybe 60 to 80 people there. Um, and their locker room was essentially the back weight room. So, you know, you had like Shawn Michaels was in the far corner by Gorilla. And then there's weights and cardio machines and people are just sort of positioning themselves all over stretching out talking
1: about their matches was, and, was regal there a lot of the time or no uh
2: yeah regal regal was there at, at that point uh, obviously he got i think he just got recently released but at that point regal was there um terry taylor was there sean michaels was there uh road dog um all those guys were there still at that point in october
0: So, Evan, do you have a question that you'd like to ask, Dave?
1: Yeah, I was
3: was just curious, um, what made you decide to leave during that three or four-year break? Oh, yeah,
2: uh, no, fair question. Um, It was a couple different things. Uh, At that time, um, there was a mentality. I I still had goals and aspirations for WWE at that time. but there was also this, this sort of unwritten, hey, you can't really make it in WWE after the age of 30, because they're always looking for guys in their early 20s. Uh, and I was turning 30 that year in 2014. Uh, so I always said, gosh, if, you, if I'm not making money in this business by 30, it doesn't seem like I'll have a chance to do anything. That was my mentality. Um And up until that point, there was nothing that said the Indies were gonna have this major boom or that all these new companies would come out. And the business didn't look like it was headed in that direction at that point. So I had said, okay, I'm gonna make an internal goal. Um, I'm gonna try to break through at some point by age 30. Um, Additionally, uh, my wife was pregnant with our second child. So um, I, I cared tremendously about being a good father and i wanted you'll to get over there. that.
0: don't worry about <laughs> it you'll after when they're 10 you'll be over all of it because uh, they're I'm...
2: almost there at that point they're almost there now but um i i know i was able to manage all my bookings with my my son uh in those last 2012 to 14 but when another child's coming on the way i had to think okay two kids now it's a lot more on my plate will i be able to handle this plus take indie bookings every weekend um Plus the, the chances of, you know, guy in his 30s trying to make it into WWE, that all. So I, I think I had decided at that point, you know, maybe I should just step away. I had my time. I had my fun. Um, and then what turned me back onto it is I actually went to the first Cow Palace show that APW did. Um, the first one was, I think, at the very beginning of 2017. And I took my kids to it. Um, and my son, we, we got him ringside for Cody's entrance. I still have this on film, but Cody threw out a shirt. Um, and my son was the one who caught it. And he had such a great time. He had asked me if dad can wrestle. Uh, and then I'm, I'm thinking about, wow, my son wants to see me wrestle. I think I could still manage these bookings now that I've been a parent with two kids for a few years. I think I can manage it. And um I know that when you when you are actively wrestling, it forces you, at least with my mentality, to always be in better shape and be more conscious of what you eat. Uh, I'll feel better when I'm in better shape for that kind of thing. And then I saw just, oh my gosh, APW, when I left, was just running, uh, they just broke out of the garage and they were running you know, buildings and getting about 350 people, which wasn't bad. Uh, but here I am at the Cow Palace and, and they have like 3,000 people. I'm like, look at what the indies are doing. There's opportunity everywhere. Um, at, at that point, New Japan was on fire. There were just there was a lot of, you know, Jeff Cobb is a great buddy of mine. And uh Cobb went from just working APW shows to getting on Gorilla to getting Lucha Underground, uh, moving from Lucha Underground uh, to Ring of Honor, from Ring of Honor to New Japan. And these are guys that I rode, I rode, I traveled roads with, and now I see all this opportunity. And I'm like, gosh, there really is life for wrestlers in their, at least on the Indies, in the 30s and onward. So I think there is a reason for me to at least attempt to come back. And that's what I did I, after that show was over. I spent the whole rest of the year in 2017 getting back into ring shape. Um, so that, that took me about six to eight months um, to get into the shape that I consider to be acceptable. I don't really like to try to get into a ring if I look like you know, for me, just even just a little flabbiness is not acceptable. I try to be as tip top shape as I possibly can. So, and then I started that angle at APW at the end of 2017, and then um, sort of full circle, the first Cal Palace show was when I decided to come back, and the second final Cal Palace show they did at the end of the year was when I sort of made my comeback. So,
1: awesome. I've got to go, yeah. Dave, but I, I just want to say. Uh...
2: I, I do too, been,
1: actually. This show, we're paying tribute to uh, Boom Boom Kamini, of course, our brother who we lost the other day. And yeah. I'm looking here, he drew at a Christmas Chaos show in what, 2000, drew former Deleep Singh, who was great Kali in WWE, not too shabby. All these matches with Samoa Joe, two big guys, and uh, him teaming with Bison Smith, who Russ managed in APW. Uh, so uh, we do pay tribute to him. I really want to thank you, Dave. Uh, you know, the work story we got when you left for the brief time was, uh, oh, he was injured, you know, injured severely. That's what they told all the marks and uh, a yeah. nice cover up. But that's what the, some of us thought. Oh, it's a, it's a shoot. Maybe he didn't get injured, you know, broke something or tore up uh, Dave, before, ACL.
0: Before you leave, I did want to ask the, the Evan question that he always asks. Which is, would you do it all over again, given everything that you've gone through and and all the things that that you've you've had happen, would you do it all over again?
2: um, you know, I think there are things you could always change, but I'm happy with where things are now, um so i, I, I yeah to answer in short, yeah, like I would do it all over again because uh, wrestling's been you know relatively good, and I haven't had, broke out in got a contract anywhere but you know overall i've had a a lot of great moments and memories and things you know when i was just a young kid i was like ah man it'd be great just to say i wrestled professionally and now i'm like got to meet some of my idols you know backstage and wrestle guys that i grew up watching on tv like just last night again i wrestled psychosis and i i was a kid in high school watching nitro yeah.
1: watching
2: ray mysterio and psychosis and juventude uh, and just going my, my mind being blown at that point, because I had never seen wrestlers like that before. And here I am now sharing a ring with them. So like these kind of things are really special to me. And regardless of what level of a wrestler you are on the, in the industry, uh, independent, contracted, major star, um, I would do it all over again, just for the fact of all, you know, those kind of moments. So
0: that's, that's great. Can you tell uh, the fans how they could get in touch with you and what things you're promoting, what things are coming up for you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can find me on all things, social media on uh, Twitter. It's just at Dave Dutra and then on Facebook and Instagram, it's at battle King, Dave Dutra. Uh, I post, you know, sometimes daily, sometimes weekly, but you always see which my upcoming events and uh, bookings are. Uh, Primarily going to be in Northern California. Uh, I got another event coming in Fresno in two weeks. Uh, I got San Jose also in about three weeks. Uh, So
0: you'd say things are picking up in the indie scene
2: now again. Yeah, uh, things are opening up for sure. I had four bookings in the last three weeks um so i think pretty much everywhere apw has not decided to run yet which i you know that's a tear to my eye a little bit but i'd love to see them come back but outside of them pretty much every other promotion in california is back up and running and momentum is really starting to pick up i mean in the last again i mentioned the last 3 maybe 4 shows i've done let me know if the, if you need a heel <laughs>
0: manager at all you
2: know coming up. Hey, you're I'm, not ready to not my ready roster to is is,
0: is quite thin at this point so i'm i'm always okay new yeah, man
2: um but no indies are indies are great so you can find me on all things social media again at dave dutra on twitter battle king dave dutra on facebook and instagram you could probably i don't use youtube too much anymore because more people are it's all about putting up little gifs on twitter and stuff and people don't use youtube as much but um breaking my heart all, yeah um i guess it's more it's better to have a viral you know 10 second gif than it is to put up a 15 minute match these days. So, uh, but that's the best way to to get get at me. Um, I'm pretty active on social media. So you know, you'll always find out what my latest bookings are. You can chat with me, um, you know, if you wanna do a DM or something, uh, I'm always, you know, open to those kind of things, so.
0: Well, Dave, it was really wonderful having you. Evan, you wanna stay on for a couple extra minutes while we round out the show here? Uh, sure. Well, and we'll, we'll you let so you go, much, Dave. Yeah. But thank you so much. We'd love to have you on in a future show.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, either one of you guys uh, or Mike, just message me. Let me know. I'm happy to do these things. I love shooting, you know, the shooting, or talking shop with wrestling. It's great. So appreciate you guys also staying up on your Sunday nights. So uh, thank you again for having me. It's and you guys just, enjoy much. the rest thank of the you. evening.
0: Yeah, you too. See you again soon. Thank you. Okay. okay. All right. So now it's just us. All right, the way the way the, the way that it's supposed to be, back to you know uh, normalcy. I wanted to take a few minutes out and talk about Boom Boom Kamini because he oh. was he was a, a wrestler that I managed. You know, uh, uh, Mike said his career was basically over when I started managing him, which may have been kind of the case. But uh, um, Aaron was was a wrestler's wrestler. You know, he was the kind of guy that. You think about when you think about the side of beef kind of wrestler, you know, not a guy who was chiseled. He was never going to make it in the WWE because he never had the body type. And he looked a lot like Curly from the Three Stooges. But but behind all of that was a guy that really had a high level of standards for quality of matches. And and even though when I was paired up with him, it was kind of, I was a little upset because I'd been working with Mark Smith and I thought we had a really good uh, working relationship, me and Mark Smith and Vinny and Massaro. We had a really good tag team thing going on. The Satello Syndicate was white hot. And then I was going from managing two guys, just managing one guy. And we got stuck on a lot of curtain jerking, just me and and and, and Aaron. Uh, boom Boom were stuck on, on the first match off the card and they weren't very inspired matches. They didn't have much of a storyline to him. He played an Arab, obviously, from the Middle East and this was early part of 2001 which was not a problem. But come September 11th 2001, it was a problem and so we had to really get rid of the whole thing and I basically stopped managing him then them. But between then when I started managing him and 2011, 9/11, um, we had a great match against Samoa Joe. So that's one of my, the big highlights. Is that Samoa Joe took a huge dive out on me, and boom, boom, and 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 it was a really he had he had a really good mind about scripting a match and choreographing a show and making things in match have a storyline that was compelling and interesting to watch. And I, I, I think that's undervalued by a lot of people. But he didn't want to personally, even though he was stuck on a curtain-jerking match, he didn't want himself to be part of a really bad performance. And so we always did fun matches and good routines and stuff like that going on, even though, you know, the match itself was at the
3: bottom of the car. You know, it's ironic the way wrestling has changed just listening to the show tonight we in new york for the tri wf we'd get guys like pat patterson headlining the garden for the first time at age 40 you know or so you know in that age range and a lot of guys back then their careers didn't peak until 35 or 40. so you know to hear uh dave say that uh WWE generally isn't interested in guys in their 30s. The business has really, really changed. And even what you just said, you know, if you remember that that sorty pay-per-view recently, it was Roman Reigns and Goldberg in the opening match. Now the opening I match is a, big a I deal. just heard a rumor that, that Vince McMahon wants to get
0: back in the ring at WrestleMania.
3: Oh,
0: it's a circus. But my, think my, about my, Shane, you know, and Shane McMahon.
3: You know. Shane would just scour the arena looking for the like largest object to like leap off of. <laughs> you know? But um, but my point is now the opening match is a big deal, and you know the business always evolves, and not necessarily for the better because I've seen too many times where the opening match on the pay per view is the best match of the night, and everything you know pales in comparison. Goes downwards
0: from there, absolutely,
3: yeah. and that's awful. I mean the way the way I grew up is, you know, the card was supposed to build the finale. The, okay. the, the main event is what you're, you're, it's
0: a crescendo. It's like a pyramid. You get to the top and you have your ultimate thing that everyone is looking forward to see. Otherwise, when you have your main event right at the front of the, the show, people just get up and leave because when, you know, you're having uh, SD Jones against uncle Elmer as your last match, people are like, nobody's going to want to stay around
3: and watch that. It's, Especially how
0: long these pay-per-views are.
3: Now the theory is to get the TV crowd hot in the beginning of the match. So, uh, you know.
0: And they're thinking, well, they'll get the most eyes on it because it's the most prime time moment is when the match actually, the show starts and you know you don't want to bore anyone to start with it, you know whereas when you're doing live shows there's that concept that well everyone's going to be late for that first match and people are buying their popcorn and 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 still finding their seats but still you know, finding find a parking, parking spot yeah, yeah exactly you're, you're still trying to find the atm to pay for the parking spot as more Right. More, uh, more correct. But uh, um, so it was tough to lose him. It's tough to to you know know somebody that that you worked with side by side. You know every Saturday for months of your life, and you know you find he wasn't even. Maybe he was sixty years old. I don't think he was. He was probably about fifty eight or fifty nine. You know, so he didn't even make sixty. And and it's just another. I would really, really, really like to go three months in the last three years without losing somebody i cared about it's it's really been very tough for me
3: yeah um i i i've said it innumerable times on this show i lost six friends in the past two years to covid and none of them were old 40s 50s 60s 70s you know by today's standards those are not you know elderly people by any means and um yeah, it's been it's been a rough stretch, and I just think it's important for, for whoever was a friend, family member, fan, whatever the case may be, to honor these guys. And uh, you know, whoever watches this and you know, sees it's from your heart. I didn't I didn't personally know him, but you and Mike and Dave did. So you know, um, whilst, while somebody's writing. 5,000 words about a meaningless raw tomorrow night. You know, you devoted a, a, an entire show to uh, acknowledge this guy. And Sure, yeah. And I'm
0: going to write something for Pro Wrestling Stories about him as well. You know, a summary of of his career. Because I think, you know, there's more people like Aaron Boom Boom Kamini than are like Hulk Hogan or that are like Bill Goldberg. You know, there's more guys who wind up like him. You know, and but what
3: I always say about the indie guys is, um, they've devoted their life to this, they've, they've devoted, you know, um, decades to being a pro wrestler, and they deserve to be acknowledged. You don't have to be quote unquote famous, famous to deserve to be honored and acknowledged by uh, people in the industry in whatever capacity, so uh. You know, when uh, these clickbait bandits can't devote a couple of sentences to an indie wrestler dying because, you know, they, they they, they have to promote a billion dollar corporation instead. I think they have it asked backwards, to be honest.
0: But on a different side too, which is that in the indie wrestling stuff, there are people that you don't necessarily get along with, okay? They're not your friends. And I would not say that Aaron Kamini was my friend. I never called him up and said, hey, let's go hang out kind of thing. He wasn't my friend, right? But I respected him. Yeah, mutual respect, guys. Yeah, I I respected what he did in the ring. I respected what he brought to a show. And that his level and his standards were high enough that he wouldn't give the fans a crappy match if he was involved in it.
3: He Mm -hmm. just
0: felt like that was something that there's a crowd of people. I remember him saying this to some of the younger guys that, you know, there's a crowd of people, even though there's only 50 people coming to the show tonight. Okay, Okay. He he wrestled in front of some terrible, terrible crowds, people with nobody there. I mean, where basically the, the members of the cast and crew outnumbered the audience. Oh, yeah. Angels camp and 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 a couple of places that are out in the middle of nowhere that we went to. He Still gave his best. Yeah, he said, you know what? There's only 25 people or 50 people in that there, but they they spent their hard earned money to be entertained tonight, and we're gonna entertain them because they paid their good money to see us. I don't care if we get shorted tonight. I don't care if I don't get paid. But these people spent their money. To see us entertain them, and we're going to entertain them tonight because that's what we do as professionals. And, yeah. and you know that someone had put on a a a, 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 a one of the uh, wrestling groups I was in. What makes a good wrestler? And I, you know, everyone's like, oh, the ability to sell, the ability to to draw a gate, you know, that kind of thing. And I said, you know, to me, what makes a great pro wrestler is if you perform your best in front of a crowd of fifty as you would in front of 50,000. You give the same kind of show and the same kind of effort to those 50 people that you would if you were on nationwide TV or international TV and seen by millions. You still give them that show. Then you're a professional. And Aaron Kamini was a professional.
3: Uh, Yeah, respect. I mean, um, any performer on any given night, one, the show must go on. It doesn't matter if you're sick, if you 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 know you got stuff on your mind. It's like you go out there and you give 110%, and many times that's my objection to a WWE performer who half-asses it. Oh, it's just a house show. Meanwhile, ringside's $154 at Madison Square Garden. You still should give your best, even if it's not a pay-per-view or not a... Uh, tv taping and uh you know you have some indie guy wrestling in front of 25 or 50 people and he's busting his ass you have to respect that
0: i did and i respect aaron and 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 the world is a little bit of a darker place without him as part of it anyway we'll catch everyone next week for next week's show thank you so much
3: The world to talk
0: about. You know, we've had too many of these notes for these shows. I mean, it's it's unfortunately becoming so routine. In fact, I was thinking about that when he was talking about the impact of Mike Lockwood. The the death of Crash Holly was the first big wrestling death of somebody that I knew. And if you told me 20 years ago how many other people I'd be seeing die before
3: my eyes, I would have never believed you. It's a a rough, it's a rough business, a brutal business. Um, I tell people, I say the worst day of my life was the day my friend Tiger Khan died. He was one of my closest friends. And uh, so every so often somebody will say, but what about the day your dad died? And I said, Tiger was 33. My dad led a full life. I said, You know, uh, not that I didn't love my father, but this this was one of my best friends. The
0: loss of potential,
3: the loss of 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 somebody being
0: able to live out their life completely. And I unfortunately really understand.
3: And part part of wrestling is going up and down those roads. I would go I would drive with Tiger New York to Pennsylvania, New York to God knows where, you know, just. So he'd have company during his bookings, and next thing you know, it's all over. Like in a blink, it's over. And uh, it was a very hard thing to deal with. So, you know, you have different relationships in wrestling, and uh, they're all a loss. They're all lost, loss, you know? Well, let's hope we have something more positive to
0: talk about next week. We'll see. You never know. Anyway. AEW's pay-per-view. Those are always good. We'll talk about that next week, and maybe we'll talk about uh, Glenn Jacobs and all of his wonderful political musings. You know, when we have a chance uh, uh, next week, it's it'll be fun stuff. But thanks so much for being part of the show. We'll see you. you next week. Good night.